Welcome to this latest episode of the Integral Health Resources Podcast. This is Bob. Um, I'm in the middle of uh, my academic semester here. I've got two semesters left uh, as I work toward uh, getting my master's degree in mental health counseling. And a lot of things are coming up for me as I'm about to approach the finish line. And uh, last week, I had an interesting exchange with one of my professors who was talking to the class about um, professional identity and this idea that uh, as mental health counselors, um, we have a sort of unified identity as a profession, one that you know distinguishes us from social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, stuff like that. And, you know, the importance of everybody sort of getting on the same page with uh, what counseling means and what our, our various identities as counselors are, which is all well and good. Uh, all this was precipitated um, by an upcoming visit from the accreditation board that, uh, you know, gives the stamp of approval to our counseling program. So they're coming to visit, and apparently as part of their visit, they interview not only faculty members, but they interview some students. And various faculty in our program uh, seem to be somewhat anxious about the visit, which is understandable because that's, you know, their job um, is to worry about these things. But what surprised me was some of the students seem also anxious about the visit, and the faculty members are exerting some pressures on students to say the right things uh, when the accreditation people do make their visit. And, you know, various students started piping up in class and basically asking for talking points um, to have prepared so they'd be less anxious if, if they were interviewed by the, the accreditation people. And this immediately set off a reaction to me. Um, I raised my hand and I, I sort of protested and said, you know, hey, I'm not a talking points type of a person. I mean, I'm going to answer questions honestly and the same way I would have answered them, you know, before I knew there was a, you know, going to be a visit. And this sort of sparked a, an interesting discussion, and there was some controversy about whether students and counselors alike, everybody should sort of get in lockstep and, uh, you know, all agree on um, what we are as a profession and, and what the various principles are so that we can, you know, stand with a unified voice as we try to carve out a niche for ourselves in the marketplace. You know, right now, you know, you, as a counselor, you're competing against social workers and psychologists. And, you know, those two professions have the, their little things that they do. Psychologists, you know, they are the ones that um, are mostly involved in doing testing and assessments. And so they don't like the idea that someone with a master's degree in counseling could also take a job that involves testing and assessments because they have their, you know, 
doctoral degree in psychology and that's sort of their turf. Likewise, you have social workers that are competing for the same jobs oftentimes as folks that have master's degrees in counseling. So each profession wants to sort of say that they're more equipped to do this or that. And it's all interesting, um, and I, I kind of get it, but I'm not a very political uh, person by nature. And I'm also not very conventional in my viewpoints when it comes to psychology and counseling, as you could tell from previous episodes of the podcast. You know, I don't always take the most conventional view on things like diagnosis um, and addiction and... Uh, you know, there are other things as well. And so I really struggle with this idea of sort of getting in lockstep with um, a sort of conventionally agreed upon uh, party line uh, as, as, you know, as counselors. And so, you know, I, I'm still struggling a bit with this. And I, I did a little bit of, of research and found out that the the American Counseling Association has what they call a 2020 vision initiative where they're looking f- looking ahead uh, toward the year 2020 and deciding, okay, where, where do we want to be as a field? And a lot of this has to do with carving out a niche and having counseling be a very distinct professional identity from social work, psychiatry, psychology, and so forth. And right now, of course, there's a lot of all kinds of confusion and overlap, and even students in the various programs often don't really know the differences between a counselor, a social worker, a marriage and family therapist, and etc. And uh, you know, different professions and insurance boards and and uh, consumers, clients, they don't always know the difference too. And, and I get that it's it's confusing, and there's you know a lot on the line professionally. But uh, I still rebel against the notion that there's really necessarily a consensus about a lot of these things at this point, and that we need to sort of plow forward even though there's, you know, dissension in the ranks. For instance, um, the American Counseling Association has a code of ethics, and then that code of ethics, it dictates that you need to uh, respect the points of view of other helping professions. And this, of course, makes sense if you're on treatment teams with psychiatrists and psychologists and you have interdisciplinary teams that you're expected to um, respect the various theoretical orientations. And you also, because of that, because say the DSM diagnostic system is what's most prevalent right now in the United States, you're expected to be fluent in DSM categories and be able to diagnose uh, clients using this system. And uh, the, the trouble that I have with that is, you know, as you could tell from my blog and other, other episodes, that I'm very much opposed to, you know, the the whole philosophical foundation of this medical model of pathologizing human problems. 
and I see counseling, which takes a wellness perspective. It takes a preventative perspective and developmental perspective on uh, mental health issues. Not always to be simply complementary to the medical model, but sometimes really in conflict with it. And this has come up in my own personal experience where I've been in jobs where I've seen, you know, children in a school setting medicated uh, and diagnosed with ADHD. And I see this as great harm being done to this particular client. And yet, you know, uh, your role as a counselor sometimes is not going to be the person who's, who's in, who's in charge. It's usually some, you know, a psychiatrist. Those are typically the members of the interdisciplinary teams that have most of the power. And there's, you know, there's sort of a party line that, you know, you just kind of have to accept and go along with it and try to do your little counselor wellness preventative model, you know, as much as you can, but, you know, you still have to sort of you know, bow to this um, dominant conventional notion that there are, you know, are psychological disorders uh, and these disorders are treated in much the, you know, in much the way that the DSM dictates. So it's difficult for someone like me who holds uh, pretty strongly unconventional views to work in a setting where I'm going to be faced with these conflicts. And I have some personal experience with this. You know, in the past, before, you know, I got into this program, I was resistant to getting a master's degree and getting licensed as a counselor, mainly because I was afraid of of these conflicts. I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to uh, do what the that they wanted me to do. I would have, I'd be somehow forced to do only quote-unquote evidence-based treatment interventions, for instance. You know, despite the fact that I may disagree with some of the science and um, that I may disagree that maybe a particular evidence-based treatment is the best to use, you know, I'd be sort of forced to, to use it. You know, if the insurance companies only, you know, are going to pay for someone that does cognitive behavioral therapy and that's what's you know the conventional wisdom says is the best way to treat x y and z and you work in a place where you know you have to use evidence-based treatments or you won't get paid then you're you know you're in this conundrum where you you're having to do things that are from a theoretical orientation that maybe doesn't fit with you and it's another one of those contradictions and points of confusion and counseling. We are, we're trained that there's all these theories, client, you know, client-centered theory of Carl Rogers. You have the cognitive behavioral, you have all kinds of different theories that the deeper you look into them, they, they really conflict, uh, fundamentally in a lot of ways. The people that came up with these theories, you know, a lot of times thought that their competitors were, you know, just idiots and just wrong. And yet we're supposed to just sort of pick, uh, one or two of these theories that resonates with us and operate from that theory as a counselor, but also, you know, be sort of versed in a, in a multitude of these theories that again, can, can really conflict with one another 
both theoretically and practically. And, and then it's not just, you know, like I said, that you're allowed to just sort of do whatever, um, intervention you want to do. If you're working in a setting where the, you know, managed care, uh, organizations or insurance boards are saying, Hey, we're only going to pay if you do X, Y, and Z. And so then you're just sort of forced to do things in a way that doesn't suit your, your philosophy. And so these are the, these are the types of dilemmas that, that have, uh, sort of scared me from pursuing the, the degree to the level that I have here. I am, you know, I'm a semester and a half away from finishing and I'm starting to get a little antsy and this whole, uh, this whole notion that the accreditation people are going to come and they may ask me questions and I have to pretend like I'm on board with certain things I'm not on board with. This is really sort of pushed me uh, to face some of these. I, you know, I think I can resolve some of these dilemmas, but they're, you know, they are difficult. Uh, another, another part of my own history is, uh, you know, I'm not a fresh faced kid coming out as an undergrad, just taking in whatever the professors say as gospel. You know, I had 15, 20 years to reflect and critique the conventional wisdom in psychology and counseling before I even entered this program. And so I'm, I'm very critical minded. Uh, when I read textbooks, I'm constantly, you know, arguing against them in class and, you know, contesting some of the, the assumptions. And, you know, I also noticed that, you know, we're, we're sort of reading textbooks by the same three authors, it seems in every single class. So we're getting a very particular point of view. And again, I think this is part of the American Counseling Association's vision that, you know, to get everybody on board, we're going to, you know, give the stamp of approval to certain perspectives and certain points of view so that everybody, all incoming students are exposed to these and, and maybe get an impression that there's more consensus than there is on some of these issues. And I noticed that, you know, looking at old journal articles, that there was a lot more contention about things some years ago. And then apparently, you know, somebody declares, you know, one point of view as the, as the winner. And then everybody's expected to just now drop their, drop their points of contention and move forward in lockstep with a unified voice for the good of the field. And this is, this is tricky. Um, you know, there's so much politics involved. It really reminds me of politics, how, you know, politicians and their, the Republican convention and the Democratic convention, how they'll, you know, reach out to their base during the primaries. And then once they get the nomination, you know, everybody sort of forgets about all the points of criticism that they levied against their opponents as they were fighting for that nomination. And then they all sort of, you know, start singing the same tune against the person from the other party. And again, I'm a very, you know, I value critical thinking a lot. And I'm, it's hard for me to think of the profession and doing what's best for the profession, because honestly, I don't identify, you know, with the profession, maybe in the same way that some of the the younger students probably are and i don't know that i want to i like the fact 
that I can sort of be an independent thinker. Um, obviously, you have to, you know, work as a counselor within the parameters of your license and, you know, your scope of practice and so forth. But I think there has to be people that have unconventional views and are willing to fight for what they, you know, think is correct. I mean, I'm sure back in the day when homosexuality was viewed as a, a disorder, there were people that thought that that was ludicrous. And even though the, you know, the profession of psychiatry looked at it one way, and then that was what was in that version of the DSM, it wasn't as if every psychiatrist was, was on board with that. And so I think there has to be, there has to be people, you know, within any field that are still fighting some of those battles. Addiction is one that I've spoke a lot about on this podcast and I continue to think a lot about because there's still, even with in progressive visions of how to treat addiction where, you know, increasingly addiction is, is not looked at as a criminal activity and, and people are reaching out and, and looking at uh, addicts as people who need help. There's still a very entrenched view of addiction as a disease. I just was listening to NPR uh, earlier uh, yesterday or today, and it was just assumed by these very progressive uh, commentators that, you know, addiction was a disease and it, it was the same as cancer. And of course, you wouldn't you wouldn't turn away someone looking for help with cancer. So you wouldn't turn away someone looking for help with an addiction. And these type of things, uh, you know, trouble me because I think you can, you can advocate to help people that are struggling with addictions without buying into what, in my view, is a completely false notion that addiction is a quote-unquote disease and even harmful. And again, this is where the battles that I fight because I believe a lot of the diagnostic system in psychiatry is, is actually harmful. Diagnosing you know, so many kids with ADHD and medicating them is harmful. Um, giving children antipsychotic medications at the age of eight to manage their behaviors uh, as a first-line intervention, I believe that's harmful. These things need to be fought against. So, you know, as a counselor, I'm not willing to go along with that and quote-unquote respect my my fellow mental health professionals that may have that point of view. I'm going to you know, I'm going to voice my opinion, even if it's not necessarily the conventional one. And I think, you know, there's got to be room for that. But it's, uh, again, these are, these are, are things I knew I would come up against. Um, and I'm coming up against them now. So, you know, it's good food for thought. I mean, I have a, a unique journey in this field. Like I said, you know, I'm getting my master's degree pretty late in my career and I worked for years as a bachelor's level mental health professional. For many years, I worked in group homes and residential facilities with people diagnosed with schizophrenia and other like pretty serious forms of mental illness. And while I was in those jobs, um, one thing I, I noticed was uh, a lot of the professionals, especially the ones with the most prestige, like psychiatrists, seem to be the least um, helpful, you know, in my estimation. 
because I would take these guys to their appointments and these psychiatrists would see them for 10, 15 minutes, write a prescription, and that would be the end of it. They, they didn't seem to connect with them or, or take much of an interest in, in their lives beyond that. And then they'd come back to the house with me, who's a completely untrained, unlicensed, you know, guy with a bachelor's in psychology, who dealt with them the other 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day. And so what I learned was that often, um, you know, it wasn't the degree or the level of training that determined how helpful a person was to uh, someone else. It was really just, a, you know, basically a very simple thing. I mean, making a human connection with someone, paying attention to them, listening to them, and responding to them from this place of connection and attentiveness was really sort of all you needed. And so I didn't have an inherent respect for, you know, psychiatrists because, I, you know, I saw what maybe some of the not great ones did and how they worked. And then when I, I worked in psych hospitals with counselors who were licensed at the master's level and social workers who were licensed at the master's level, I noticed that, uh, you know, many of them did great work, but um, their degree didn't seem to really make a difference. It seemed to be certain people were just naturally good at it. Um, there was even a staff member who didn't have a master's degree who just you know, had that knack for connecting with people who, in my estimation, was the superior clinician uh, in the building. He just, you know, what he was doing was was more helpful and more impactful than any of the the other folks with their training and their licenses. And this, again, was a formative experience for me and led me to not have respect for the training per se, but more of the individual and the principles that the person was doing. And obviously you can have training and the training can be beneficial. And uh, I think a lot of my training has been beneficial going through this master's program. But for better or worse, I had some pretty, pretty, pre, you know, formed ideas when I came into the program. Not many of them have shifted. I'm still, you know, I still hold a lot of the same unconventional views. Um, I appreciate getting a chance to get, you know, more experience with clients and patients and students, and that's been great. But here I am, I'm ready, I'm getting ready to launch my career, and I'm I'm still feeling conflicted about this, this notion that I need to identify as a counselor and be an advocate for the field and push the field forward and sort of walk hand in hand with my fellow counselors to make sure that the profession you know, heads in a certain direction. So these are things I'm, I'll continue to wrestle with, and uh, I'm sure I'll touch back in on these topics in a, in a future podcast, but I just thought I'd ramble about and uh, throw out some, some of those issues now. If there's any counselors out there, or counselors in training that have similar experiences, or, you know, maybe you just think I'm an idiot and I should just put my own personal issues aside and do what's best for the field. And if I don't like it, maybe I shouldn't be a counselor. Um, I think some of those opinions could be valid. And this is also, these are things I'm wrestling with 
and why I'm, you know, I'm still ambivalent, even though I'm, I'm so close to the finish line. So if you have any, uh, opinions or perspectives on that, you can find me on Twitter at integral underscore health, or you can send me an email at Bob at integralhealthresources.com, or just keep listening. And then hopefully in future episodes as the semester rolls along, uh, perhaps I'll find some resolution to some of these issues, but that's it for today. I'll now I'll check in with you at a later date. Be well. Bye.